0: Scripture reading this morning will be taken from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1058. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. morning. It is good to be together this morning. It's good to be home. I appreciate John Michael and him preaching last week and the elders leading us in worship and Bible study Wednesday night. But no matter where we roam, uh, many of us are back home from the holidays and it's good to be together. If you're a guest this morning, your presence here encourages us and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. When we think about the theme of this year, here we are, it's hard to believe, 52 weeks later, we have been thinking for so many weeks about our souls, soul focus. And in that this month, we've been studying 2 Timothy the fourth chapter, and we've been thinking about how important it is for us to finish well I wanna share with you something that many years ago I shared this with you because when I think about finishing in a lighthearted way, this usually comes to my mind. A preacher, let's just say he was humor impaired and he, he decided he was going to go to a conference to try to learn how to be a better preacher. And so he listened to these great speakers speak about how to be great speakers. How to hold a, a, a congregation in the palm of your hand from your first words out of your mouth to the last words. And one particular guy got up and, and the first words out of his mouth were these words. I spent the best years of my life in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. Well, the audience was listening carefully then. And just after the perfect pause, he said, and that woman was my mother. Oh, the audience smiled and the man continued to speak. And the preacher thought to himself, I want to be able to speak like that. And he thought, I want to try that next Sunday. Then he thought, oh, I could never do that. And he said, oh, that's why I'm here at this conference is to do better. I'm going to try this. And so before the sermon, that song was being sung right before the sermon. And the first verse, he's getting so nervous. He's thinking, I can't do this. Second verse, he says to himself, I'm not doing it. The third verse, he says, but that's why I went to the conference was to do better. And so finally, by the third verse, he said to himself, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And so very nervously, he walks up to the pulpit and he grabs it by both hands. And he looks seriously to the audience and he says, the best years of my life I spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. And the audience then half the oxygen out of the room. And just after the perfect pause, he forgot what he was supposed to say next. And the pause became longer and longer and longer, shifting left to right, and finally he blurted out the words, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. (laughs) You know, we get it. When we talk about finishing well, We get it when it comes to a joke. A joke is absolutely nothing if you can't finish well. But listen, there's something a lot more important than a joke, and you and I know that, and it's our soul. What if we live on this earth and do not finish well? What if a person gained the whole world and lost their own soul? What would you give in exchange? On that day of judgment, what would you give in exchange if you realize you've lived to accomplish a lot of things, but the one thing that matters, you failed. Second Timothy is a powerful book for many reasons, but one reason it stands out in our minds is because it's the last writing that we have of Paul. And then we come to the fourth chapter. And now we're in the last chapter of the last writings. And we several weeks ago, the very first Sunday in December, we looked at the first five verses and how he urged Timothy to be about the same work that he had been about, preaching the gospel. And he urged him to endure in the preaching of the gospel. Even when people had itching ears and they wanted to hear other things, preach that gospel in season and out of season. And then we looked at the next week in verse six, seven, and eight. And Paul looked at his past. He looked at his present he looked at his future. And he knew that he was a man that had finished well. And he could see that faithful souls finish well and they finish strong. And so that's what he set his eyes upon wanting to do. And this morning, I want you to see that as we drop down, the text has just been read. And we only read through verse 11. If we were to read through the end of this chapter, there's something that stood out in my mind before that I don't think I've ever noticed it or at least noticed it as strongly as when I was studying this text this week. Did you notice how many people that Paul mentions by name? You see, if you were to count the fact that in verse 9, he is speaking directly to Timothy. Now, I know you say, well, sure he was because he's writing this book, Second Timothy. No, but I mean... Specifically, He gave a command to Timothy that he didn't give to the rest of us. In other words, Paul did not write to us saying, I want you to leave right now and I want you to go and find me in a dungeon somewhere and I want you to come to me. He wrote that specifically to Timothy. So if you count Timothy, you have about 18 individuals that from verse 9 to the end of the chapter that he speaks by name. Now let that sink in. He's writing the last words of inspiration that we have from Paul. He knows that his life is about to come to the end. And what's on his mind? It's not things. It's people. And if we can realize that as Christians, it's impossible to finish well without understanding the value of people. Listen, we need each other. We can't walk faithfully through this life as islands, as isolated individual Christians, each out there doing their own thing. God planned for us to be, 1 Corinthians 12, many members coming together in one body. God planned for us to be a family, individuals that he adopts into one family. God expected for us to be a word that's in the Bible over and over, fellowship. It's the idea of togetherness, sharing with others. God expects us to be members of one body, of one family, in fellowship with each other. And here Paul is about to die. And what's on his mind? The people that he has shared his life and his ministry, and get this, that he wants to share eternity with. We've been looking at souls all year long in Scripture, and here Paul is about to leave this earth, and what's on his mind? Individual souls. This morning, I'd like for us to take some time reading through 9, 10, and 11. We might even get as far as 12 or 13 And there may be at times this morning that this feels a little bit more like a Bible class lesson instead of a sermon because I want us to do something very simple. I want us to go through this list of people, and we can't get through them all, and definitely not in depth. But I want us to go through a list of these people, and I want you to see that when we see who these people were in the life of Paul, it reminds us that we're all so different. It reminds us how we all can work together so well. As we go through this list, there's going to be somebody on this list that you read this and say, that's kind of like me. Or you'll read someone else and you'll say, that's not like me, but that's like so-and-so down the pew here or across the aisle. And I hope what you you gain from this study of, of Paul's words is how important it is that we're not only faithful to God, but to realize that to be faithful to God, we must love and appreciate each other and be faithful to each other also, loyal to each other. So let's go back to that implied you as he's speaking to Timothy. Look with me there in the fourth chapter. We're looking at verse nine, and he's saying, you be diligent. He's speaking to Timothy. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Who is Timothy? If you flip back a page in your Bible to 1 Timothy the. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Notice how verse 2 begins. To Timothy, a beloved son. Here is a man that he loves dearly. He's quite a bit older than Timothy. And Timothy, as far as we know, did not have a father that was a faithful Christian. And so Paul seems to step in spiritually and be a mentor to him, to be like a father to him. And they grew very close. As a matter of fact, let me show you one example. We don't have a slide for this. So if you have your Bible open, flip back about six or seven pages in your Bible to Philippians, the second chapter. In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul loved the people at Philippi. He would have loved to have gone to them in person, but the problem is he was in prison. He couldn't go, but he wanted to encourage them. So what did he do? He sent Timothy to them and notice the description that he gives to Timothy. Let's begin reading in verse 19 of Philippians 2. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have, describing Timothy here, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Isn't that beautiful? Paul's saying, I don't have anybody else that I can send to you that thinks like I do. He will sincerely care. Sincerely has the idea of, of, with oneness, with unity, not, not fragmented. So he's saying, in other words, his care is going to be genuine. It's going to be sincere. The next verse describes why that is difficult for many of us to do. It's our human nature that works against our spiritual calling. Look in verse 21. For all seek their own. See what he's saying? Paul says, I do this. Timothy does this. All of us do this unless something changes in our life, not the things that are of Christ. So he's saying, the reason I can send Timothy is that we've stopped living by the flesh. He's going to sincerely care for you because by nature, we all care for our own selves. We're selfish instead of the things of Christ. Let me give you another example of this in scripture that's going to come to your mind. This comes out of Matthew, the 16th chapter is one place where it's recorded in the gospels. Jesus had stood before the apostles and he was trying to prepare them for the fact of what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And so he very straightforwardly told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer, be rejected and killed and then later be resurrected. Peter loves him dearly, not thinking spiritually, but this selfish nature kicks in. My good friend, that's not going to happen to my good friend. And he steps between the cross and Jesus And he says, far be it, Lord, from that to happen to you. And you remember Jesus' answer. Jesus looks at the one that's between him and the cross, his very close friend. And he says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Now read that again about for we all seek our own, not the things that are of Christ. Paul, why do you want to send Timothy? Because Timothy has stopped looking at the selfish, fleshly nature. Timothy has started living his life so that he wants Christ to be exalted. I feel good about sending him to you. He's like-minded of me in that way. And that's why he can say in 22, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now notice that last verse we read, he says, proven character. His life, day to day, backs up the message that he speaks. So let's go back to our text, to 2 Timothy 4. Paul is finishing well, and one of the characteristics of those that finish well, they understand the importance of people. And so what does he do? He's writing to a young man that he loved dearly, and what is he saying to him? I want you to come. Who is this man? This is a man that has become as close as family. Listen, of a congregation the size that we are, there's no way for us to be best friends with everybody. But I want to challenge you to nurture Christian friendships. I want to challenge you to be able to say the closest people, my tightest inner circle is made up of Christians. Now listen, we must be friendly and have friends that are out in the world or we cannot evangelize effectively. But I want to challenge you to be able to join Paul in understanding the importance of having people that are as close as family, that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we swing to another extreme Instead of one that is so close and like family, we read some heartbreaking news in verse 10. For Demas, back to 2 Timothy 4, Demas has forsaken me. That's the idea of deserted me. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas is mentioned other times in the scriptures. We see him in Colossians. We also see him in Philemon, verse 24. And other times he's mentioned in a very favorable context called a fellow worker with Paul. But here something has changed. This man is no longer with Paul. There's probably two things that are being emphasized here. One is just the the heartbreak. It really goes back to Jesus' teaching in Luke, the 15th chapter. When one sheep goes astray, the principle is you leave the ninety and nine and you go after the one that's gone astray. And you know what? Paul is being held under arrest right now. He can't leave and go after the one. There had to be a measure of heartbreak in that. But there also had to be a measure of heartbreak just in the fact that he loved Demas. He loved his soul. There also, third, had to be a heartbreak in the fact that now there is a hole in ministry. Listen, when someone who has been faithful becomes unfaithful, not only does it leave a hole in our relationships, it leaves a hole in ministry. And really, when you read verse 9, 10, and 11 together, because just as I'm doing this morning, sometimes we can be guilty of piecemealing it, and I'm trying not to do that, and so that's why I'm bringing your attention to this. We see in verse 11, the whole context is about ministry. I'm gonna mention this to you to make the point and then we're gonna jump back here. I want you to read this with me. We've just read nine and we've read that portion of 10 for he's telling in verse nine, Timothy to come to him quickly and 10, Demas has forsaken me. And then he tells what Crescens has done. He's, he's been sent to Galatia. Titus has been sent to Dalmatia. And now that leaves only Paul and Luke in verse 11. So he wants him to stop and get John Mark and bring him with you. Why? For he is useful to me for ministry. I believe that last phrase puts all of these other phrases in 9, 10, 11 in context. I think sometimes we turn 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the last half, into only a physical representation where Paul is saying, I'm in the dungeon, I'm dying, I'm afraid winter is going to come, and I'm cold, and the only reason I'm asking Timothy to come is because I want my coat. Absolutely, we know that he wanted him to come before winter just right before the end of the chapter and we know that he wanted him to bring his coat. So that is appropriate to draw that conclusion as long as we understand, I do not believe that's the primary pulse of these last few paragraphs. He says at the end of verse 11, he's useful to me for ministry. Here's an awesome point. Paul knew that he was preparing to die but he was not going to stop ministry until he breathed his last breath. Paul is writing this last section so that the work that is being done in Rome can continue without missing a beat. We got a problem here, Paul is implying. We had five of us that were strong leaders. And now Demas has forsaken. Cretans, I had to send over to Galatia. Titus, I had to send to Dalmatia. Where there were five of us leading this work in Rome, we now have a problem. There's only two of us. There's only Luke and myself. I need you to come over, Timothy. And I need you to stop by and get John Mark. There's a lot of ministry that needs to be done. The church, no doubt, was already beginning to suffer some of the great persecution. And there was a lot of ministry that needed to be fulfilled. So Timothy, you're so close, you're like family. Demas, there became a problem. And Paul calls it like it is. Why did he desert? Well, you know the church just has a really hard time holding their age group. Well, i tell you why he deserted. that Their Bible class for that particular age group just didn't have a great, interesting teacher. That's, that's why he deserted. I think you know that we need to do the best we can do anytime we're teaching God's Word and anytime we're trying to reach out to any age group. But listen, we need to call some things and all things like they are. Paul calls it straight. You know why Demas deserted? He didn't turn and blame the church, the body of Christ. He turned to the real problem and he said, he loved this present world. What does that mean? 1 Timothy 2.15 gives you a pretty good idea of what that means. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Paul, what do you mean? He would say, Demas started being full of this lustly desire of things that he saw. The kingdom of God could not fulfill those things. There was this fleshly desire that he wanted to fulfill. Maybe there were activities he wanted to participate in. Maybe there was substances that he wanted to intake. Whatever it was, he could not do that and be faithful in the kingdom. Maybe it was the pride of life. There can only be one number one in your life. We're talking about finishing faithfully. Please be honest with yourself this morning. There can be only one number one in your life. The pride of life says, I make the calls. The pride of life says, I'm the most important. And the Lord says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, crucify self-will and follow me. Christ must be preeminent. And when we make Christ preeminent, we're going to stay with the Lord. And when we don't have Christ preeminent, we start loving ourselves more than we love the Lord. And the lust of the eyes and the flesh starts to overtake us. What happened to Demas? He deserted. Why? He loved the world. But then you have the example of Cretians. It's so neat to read about Cretans for this simple fact. If you're looking at him right there in your Bible, that's the only place you're going to find him. He was so capable that Paul loved the people of Galatia. When there needed to be someone sent to Galatia to help the church there, he was so capable, Paul said, We'll send him. And then I ask you, tell me something about him. You say, I don't know anything about him. Really? You mean there are very capable, faithful, willing people that are wonderful children of God and you don't know anything about them. Aren't you thankful for that? A show of hands. How many of you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, I want to go to the eight o'clock service but I am so afraid that no one remembered to prepare the Lord's Supper. So I don't know if I'm going to go to the eight o'clock service or not. Did, Did anybody worry whether or not there would be Lord's Supper here this morning? But yet, then at the same time, no one's hand went up, by the way. Then at the same time, if I said to you, who prepared the Lord's Supper this morning, there wouldn't be many of you sitting in this room that knows who prepared the Lord's Supper this morning. Accretions did that. He's sitting right over here. And you know what? He, he did that many, many, many times this year. And it'll be prepared for next service too, and it'll be available tonight. Some of you don't have any children, but yet maybe this week you ran into a neighbor and you invited them to church and they had a little two-year-old and you said, oh, your toddler, he or she would love class. We have wonderful Bible class teachers and I'd agree with you. But then I say, who teaches two-year-old? Can you tell me off the top of your head? You say, I, I, I don't know. Aren't you glad we have Christians? Someone greeted you when you walked in this morning, more than likely, and they probably even offered you a Sunday bulletin. Odds are many of you do not know the name of the person that did that, but there are Christians this morning. Listen, every week there are hundreds. I'm not exaggerating. I've counted it up before. There's over 225 people that must do a weekly responsibility or the work of this church only on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night cannot be done I'm not talking about all the other works that reaches around the world through other outreach and through benevolent programs in this community and all the other things. I'm talking about just our worship services and Bible classes. If there's not over 225 people showing up every work to do every week to do their work, you and I don't enjoy what many of us take for granted every week. There has to be Christians There has to be those people that faithfully show up and they do their work and you and I need to be thankful for them and you and I need to be one of them. When everybody is willing to do their work and they do not want the glory coming to them and they want all glory to go to the Lord, that's when great things are done. But then did you notice there's also Titus mentioned there? Now, Titus is mentioned about 13 times in the Bible. And what's interesting is is Titus is is mentioned as a strong leader. If you flip a page in your Bible to Titus, the first chapter, notice verse 4, the compliment, Paul says, a true son in our common faith. And then in verse 5, he tells, for this reason I left you, talking about Titus in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. Who is Titus? Titus is one of these guys that Paul leaned on. He had a few of these men that we know about in scriptures, but Titus is one of them that he was an equipper and a church builder. In other words, he was a leader. And there's nothing wrong for someone to not be a leader. The Lord gives some the ability, according to Romans 12, to lead. And if he's given you that ability, you need to lead with diligence. Hard work, high priority, diligence. And it's fine for those that don't have the ability to lead. You need to faithfully follow and find your faithful place in loyal service. But let's think for just a moment about these men that are like Titus. The men that like our elders in this congregation, that they see their responsibility to equip and to build up the Lord's kingdom in this place. The church needs Deacons that are like Titus. They can be set over a work and that particular ministry will be equipped and it will be led well. The church needs Bible class teachers that are like Titus. They're gonna go into that class and they're gonna do their best to equip that class with the word of God and help build up those individuals. We need class coordinators that see the importance of bringing people together and forming a tight union within the Lord's family that we oftentimes call unity. You need ministers. You need ministers that are church builders. They are equippers. If an elder, a deacon, a teacher, a minister ever starts believing that their place is just a position and not a work, they miss the importance of kingdom work. Titus was sent not to fill a position only. Titus was sent there to accomplish something We've talked about it, church family. We know that we are at a glass ceiling. We know that there are souls in this community to reach. And we know that the only way it's going to be done is when there are leaders and enough of them and they can do it effectively enough that we step out and we equip and we build and we take that great Savior, the gospel that's good news, to a world right around our streets to bring those that are lost to their Savior. It's not going to happen without effective leadership. Paul says, I've had to send off Titus to of Dalmatia. And about sixteen or 1,700 years later, there'll be a breed of dogs that comes out of that place, and that's how most of us know the name of that place. But we need to know it for another reason. We didn't know it for a reason that there was a great church builder that was sent to that place. And we need to know Mount Juliet, not just because it's home, but we need to see it as the highest priority that this is my place to do the work of the Lord. And then I'd like for you to notice Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. And if you read that all by itself, it doesn't sound like a compliment. It's like, well, I need somebody to help me. There's only Luke here. But when you read in the context that we've already talked about, he's mentioned that there were several of us working here, and now there's not hardly any of us left here in in the area of leadership that he's referring to. Now, who is Luke? It's interesting when we think of Luke, because also in Colossians 4 and also in Philemon, verse 24, we learn that Luke was a fellow worker of his. We also learn that he was a beloved physician. We also know from the book of Acts that he traveled on a couple of the missionary journeys. We know that he was a loyal traveler, a loyal travel companion with Paul. And being a great physician that he was, a beloved physician, we assume that he helped Paul with some of his medical needs that he might have had personally. It's interesting in his humility because the only way that we know that he was on those trips is throughout the book of Acts. He occasionally says, us are we. For example, in Acts the 27th chapter, that horrible boat ride that ended in a tragic shipwreck, he was on that. You might be surprised if I mention this to you. By name, he's only mentioned three times in scriptures. This is one of them. Colossians 4 and Philemon 24 is the other two. But yet this man seemed to constantly be beside Paul, helping him with whatever needs he had. A professional, a physician, that seemed to put his profession somewhat on hold to better the cause of the kingdom. Now this strikes me with great interest. We don't, out of all those times he traveled with Paul, we don't ever read of Luke preaching. Isn't that interesting. Apparently that wasn't his place but we read of him writing. Oh, wow, do we read of him writing. As a matter of fact, not if you take the number of books, because a lot of times people will say, Paul wrote the most books in the New Testament. Well, he did write the most books in the New Testament, but let's measure the length, the volume of the books. And what we find out is that Paul wrote probably about 25% of the New Testament. Luke wrote about 27% of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. And then there's one more, John, he wrote about 27 and percent of the New Testament writing John, the gospel and the epistles and the book of Revelation. But let's go back to this simple point. There are a lot of individuals that they're gonna do an effective job helping spread out the word of God, but they're probably never gonna preach a sermon. They're gonna be, if you glance down also in, in verse 12, Tychicus, they're gonna be messengers, they deliver it. I mentioned to our guys in the pit on a regular basis that they preach a lot more sermons than I do. I preach a sermon once and they take it and spread it around the world and they send it out and duplicating it on CDs and DVDs. And we regularly hear feedback of the good that they are doing like Tychicus, the man that delivers letters for Paul. Or what about in verse 13? We have Carpus who was the man that held the possessions. He held on to the coat, the books, and the parchments until Timothy needed them again. And so, hey, until Paul needed them again. So he's telling Timothy to go by and pick those up. The church needs individuals that's gonna be good stewards, the ones that's gonna help take care of the possessions. Who's gonna take care of our library? Who's gonna take care of our facility? Who's gonna take care of our vans? Who's gonna take care of our equipment? All of the things that we have. We need individuals just like Paul's mentioning all of these, but I'd like for you to notice back up in verse 11, we have John Mark. John Mark, he was one that at one time was at odds with Paul. At the end of the first missionary journey, he had already split. When the second missionary journey came around about seven years later, Paul didn't want anything to do with him being on the journey. So Barnabas and Paul split. Then about a dozen years later, we see him working closely with him and saying, bring him a man who's willing to restore others and be reconciled with them I'd like for you to think at a glance about verse 16 when he was arrested at my defense no one stood with me, we don't have a slide for that look at verse 17 but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me next week we'll come back and introduce next year's theme out of these paragraphs right here but as we close today I want you to think with me what I learned today I learned if we are to finish strong, we need each other. Number two, if we are going to finish strong, we need to be involved in ministry. If you haven't found your place to serve and to serve with others, I want to encourage you to find that place. And number three, if we're going to finish strong, we need to live each day with the end in view. You see, what's amazing to me about studying this last few paragraphs in 2 Timothy 4 that Paul knew that he was going to die soon. He really didn't change anything about his life. He was still going about ministry. If you only had one month to live, how would you live your life differently? And then however you would live your life differently, that's the way to live. When we are ready to die, only then... Are we ready to live? This morning, I don't know all the ways we could say it, but as we focus on our souls, I want to urge you to be faithful and to finish well, finish strong. What if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul? Don't be a deserter. Be close as flesh and blood. Take whatever ability God has given you, whether it's to lead, to follow, to be in front, to be behind the scenes, to be one that cares for people or cares for possessions, find your place and make sure that we keep our eyes on the Lord. As we measure time, you know we're about to end a year. If the Lord gives us a few more days, it'll be a new year. It's good to think about how we want things to be. And maybe you've been thinking, there are some changes I want to make in the new year. Today is a good time to get things right. You need the prayers of the church. You've never become a Christian. You need encouragement and direction and study? How is it we could help? If you're a believer ready to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you with that this morning. If you're a believer and yet you've separated yourself from God and you want to come back, we'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. If we can encourage you,